Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EDMProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Leno. Leno is a Finnish producer and songwriter who's well-known for his disco and funk-inspired dance tracks. Outside of his impressive catalog of solo releases, he's remixed dozens of big artists like Zayn and Tuvlo, and he's also a sought-after co-producer working with artists like Oliver Heldens and Sieb. Now, in this episode, we start off with Leno's background, discussing his classical upbringing and the shift that made him take electronic music seriously. We discuss how he fell into his remix work early on and what the process was like for him to find management. We later take a look at how he built a financially viable career in music without relying too heavily on live shows, something that I think a lot of producers would like. We also look at the burnout that he had with the Leno Project a few years ago and how he fell into a more healthy writing balance that he currently has. On the production side, Leno dives really deep into the technical side of production and mixing, so if you've been waiting for a more technical episode, this is the one for you. He goes step by step through what his drum bus processing looks like, how he mixes his synths, especially when there's different synths playing throughout the drop, and what his typical guitar chain looks like. He also discusses the importance of micro-variation in your arrangements and where to look for that, what his favorite virtual analog synths are, and where he falls on the analog versus digital debate. Later on, we discuss the importance of finding and sticking with a unique sound, how he began co-producing for artists like Oliver Heldens and Sieb, and his advice to producers looking to improve their musicality even if they don't know how to play an instrument. Leno also discusses the importance of proper monitoring and acoustic treatment for listening to your music, which he feels are crucial to achieving a clean and translatable mix. Now, one last thing, Leno just dropped a brand new splice pack a few days ago. This is a follow-up to a pack that he did a few years ago that has been used in countless hit records. So definitely go check that out if you want some new samples and you want a bit of that personal Leno touch in your music. Now, as we slide into the interview, I'm going to play you an instrumental version of Leno's latest track called Something Real. So if you're feeling it, definitely go check it out on Spotify right after this episode is over. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM podcast with Leno. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Leno. Leno, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. How's it going? Not too bad. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd like to learn what got you into music and later on music production. Um, so yeah, I come from a musical family. Uh, my dad is a composer, um, sort of in the very um, sort of arty, um, experimental, classical kind of world. Um, so he was all, always doing that. Um, and my mom is a piano teacher. So there was a lot of classical music in the house when I was growing up. Uh, not so much anything else. Like I don't really have, <laughs> I didn't really have any knowledge of like popular music as a child. Um, yeah, it was mostly like um, classical and stuff. But then like, for some reason, I like, oh yeah, then like at seven years old, I started uh, playing the classical guitar. 
because uh, I thought guitars were cool. <laughs> I guess that's like a, a little boy thing. Um, yeah. But then, like, uh, that sort of, yeah, that was sort of my start into music was, like, uh, playing classical guitar and, like, going to, like, a music school. Um, and then at, like, age 11, I want to say, I picked up um, the electric guitar, which had sort of been my... Um, goal in starting classical guitar was to like uh get into electric at some point because by age yeah. seven i probably had an idea that like <laughs> electric guitar is cool um but then like um when i started playing electric guitar like very soon after um i was like playing in like awful bands with my friends <laughs> <laughs> like like age 11 so it was really bad but like very yeah. soon after i already started to want to record um music as well because i was like fascinated about it um didn't know anything about it but still wanted to do it um so i got a copy of garage band at I wouldn't say 2006, so that would be, uh, I would be 11 at the time. So yeah, I think something, somewhere around that, because I remember it was, uh, <laughs> the CD was called iLife 05, so, uh, <laughs> which oh, was like a package uh, that had GarageBand and iPhoto and stuff in it. Like that was yeah. back when like you actually had to pay for GarageBand as well. Um, so that's what I got, and I had no idea what, what I was doing. Um, but slowly I just started messing around with stuff and like making my own little tunes. Um, and then like maybe a year or two after, the timeline is a little bit fuzzy because, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but I think I got Logic Express 8, um, which was like the most recent version, um, like pretty soon after it came out. Um, so um, that was sort of the upgrade from GarageBand, and then I started to get more into it. Um, and the stuff that I was making, I, I was making like I was like all over the place. Like um, yeah. the band I was in was metal, so I was doing quite a lot of metal stuff. Um, and then also like in my spare time <laughs> uh, from the metal band stuff, like I was doing like hip hop beats and like experimenting with electronic music and stuff. Uh, but like, as far as like the transition into electronic music, um, I had no idea w what I was doing uh, with Logic. Like it took me like a day to even get sound out of it. Uh, Cause this was like, I'm gonna say 2007, 2008, like there weren't like, YouTube was very new. Like there weren't like, internet tutorials were everything yeah. <laughs> like or like yeah nowadays you can get tutorials for everything like back then that was not the case so my solution for that was buying magazines uh future music magazine computer music magazine like those were the sort of main ones and yeah. in finland at the time they were like 15 to 20 bucks each mm. <laughs> so it was like i was spending like all, all my money buying these magazines but like the cool thing was that like they were like basically the, the reason i started buying them was the fact that i didn't want know what i was doing so i was trying to learn something yeah. um but then like through those i also like because they were doing already at the time they were doing this sort of like um inside the track interviews with producers so i would see like yeah. really cool producers um do this um yeah like showing their tracks and showing their pro projects and pr the process behind it and then like the main one that like sort of threw me into electronic music like 
well, that's actually really cool, was um, one by a, a British group called The Young Punks, uh, which I think okay. is still on YouTube if we want to go look at that one. Um, but basically, like, the guy is called Hal Ritson, who, who does it, and he's actually a really successful producer now. Uh, mm-hmm. But back then, he was doing more of just, like, his own thing with this um, electronic music group. Um so the way he worked was sort of like making these fake samples that sound like old records uh, and then sampling that into like um, more modern electronic music. Um, so that was sort of like, for me, was the gateway because I sort of came from like a more f- proper music background, I want to say, even though I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. I, I was not great. Uh, but like for me, electronic music was always a little bit boring and repetitive and like not real music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then once I saw a guy who like combines the like energy of electronic music with the musicality of like some of these other stuff like funk and soul music that I was re- already into at the time, um, that was like sort of a turning point for me for actually wanting to do it myself as well. So, like, the cool thing about Hal is that, like, he actually does that mostly for a living now, is that he recreates uh, samples for uh, projects where it's not feasible to clear the original sample. So, like, uh, he's done it for everyone. Like, you can go look him up. I think his company is called The Replay Heaven. He's done, like, Kanye Records and, like, all the big pop stuff. Um, But the way he works is, like, he listens to this sample and then just like dissects the way it's being recorded and like looks at old studio blueprints and like it goes like super yeah. deep. Uh, but um, it's been cool because like I've worked with him in ta- that uh, sort of capacity a couple of times now uh, with like other projects where I've sampled a record that we haven't been able to clear, then like we'll go to Hal and like he will work with me to like replay the sample. Have you mentioned that story to him that? that one magazine article with him kind of flipped the switch. Yeah, I have. And like, uh, it, it's, it's really cool. Cause like, it's um, for me, like it's more or less the reason I'm making this kind of music that I am. And like, then like I get to work with the person who made me <laughs> do that. So it's like yeah. an amazing full circle kind of moment for me. So that was kind of the kind of pivot point that got you thinking about electronic music more seriously. When did things start to develop for you to the point where you were like, I want to start releasing electronic music under an artist project? Right. Um, For me, there was not a single point from like me messing around at my parents' house to like me being a person who releases music. Like I was just like... I said, I will always, because Leno is my first name. So I like, that's literally what got exported <laughs> out of <Yeah>. GarageBand. <laughs> and, um, logic is like that everything got tagged as Leno. So that's <laughs> what stuck. Yeah. Um, so, but in like 2010, I want to say I started putting out, like I, like Leno became a thing. Like I started doing remixes, entering a couple of remix competitions and stuff like that. And also, like, starting to make some originals as well, mostly by sampling and also by making my own samples. But then, like, the next sort of important moment for me was entering a remix competition for this group called uh, Future Cop. Yeah. Um, who were this uh, British synthwave kind of group. Um, 
and I did a remix for them for that, uh, or I did a remix for the competition, and never heard anything back. And apparently, like I submitted my remix, but it never actually entered the competition due to some Oof. like technical glitch. But like for some reason, um, my manager, um, now manager Alex, was uh, also managing the uh, the future cop guys at the time. Um, mm -hmm. He like randomly stumbled upon the remix like three months after the competition. And he was at the time, he was the tour manager for the US, US group called The Knox. And then um, he was just playing uh, the remix. And Ben um, from The Knox was like, yo, this is cool. What is this? And that was the moment that spurred Alex to email me like, yo, you, this is a cool track. Like, what else do you have? And that's yeah. how I started working with um, my manager, Alex, who I still work with. And this was probably back in 2012. So from that point onwards, um, Alex started getting me some like uh, remix work or like I was doing remixes for free, but they were... Um, getting released on labels uh for example i did a remix for foster people um which mm. was getting got released on um rca uh, which ended up doing pretty well in the sort of um the time of the industry because it was still very like soundcloud driven and like yeah. indie music was very popping uh, like 2012 2013 mm. uh so then i started doing more of that and i got some attention and that's sort of what, what got the ball rolling for me as an artist was those remixes and um that's also like st slowly started becoming finan financially viable as well so at what point did things kind of switch over to this being what your full-time career is? Because I was reading like a Reddit AMA and that you did, uh, I think back in like 2014 or 15, and it said you still weren't kind of living off of music full-time. So at what point were you like head first, this is going to be what my career is right now? I would say around that time, actually, um, in 2014 or like 2013, I think I put out an EP on heavy rock music, which is actually the label for the Knox. Yeah. And I think actually the AMA is off the back of that EP. So that was like one of the moments. So then like that ended up doing pretty well, especially in Scandinavia. Um, got a bunch of radio play and like did well otherwise as well. And that sort of led to like some Scandinavian label interest, which yeah. led to me like signing, signing to Universal. And that's like suddenly like I'm, I think I signed at when I was 19. Um, so that's sort of like when like making music full-time became more viable. But yeah, then sort of like off the back of that, just like kept on doing the remixes, get, started putting out more original stuff, started doing touring um, a little bit. And then even though I was not aiming for a career in music necessarily, especially not aiming to be a DJ producer person. Yeah. Like that's just what ended up happening. Um, and like, that, that's not to say that I wasn't putting in the work. Like I was like li literally all I was doing was being in the studio and making tracks, but like uh, it was mostly driven by the sheer enjoyment of the process and not so much because like, well, the EDM bubble was just like, like it was like 
starting to become a thing, but like it hadn't yeah. been a thing when I was starting out. So I, that that was sort of like not necessarily my scene ever, but mm-hmm. it was n- definitely not a goal for me to like be part of the part of that. But that of course, like that also helped me because like suddenly like major labels could see that this is actually a thing that can be viable for major labels as well. So and that's being like it's helped me a lot the fact that like they're also interested in it so yeah um but then like as far as like the whole full-time thing um around i want to say 2016-17 um i started to get a little bit burnt out by having to rely on um Leno as an entity to uh, sustain me because, like, yeah. I would have to say yes to remixes and I would have to say shows that I mean, I like playing shows, but like, uh, I'm not the most comfortable person on stage because I know some people who like literally live for the moment that they're yeah. on stage. I'm not one of those people. So, um, around that time, um, I started working with a publisher. First for Leno stuff, but then like through that connection, I started doing more and more sessions, um, just like songwriting and production sessions. And it would, like sometimes we would make stuff that would sound nothing like my own stuff, but and those were like the kind of sessions that I enjoyed the most when I could yeah. just like uh, pick a random role. Like today, I want to like fill in the blank. Like I just want to make something completely different yeah. and. Suddenly I had an outlet through my publisher to like do whatever and then they could like pitch those songs to artists. So that's been a big uh, sort of like a pivotal moment as well is to like realizing that I don't have to like, I don't have to rely on Leno as a project to like sustain me. I can work on music for other people and that's actually led to me having fun with my own stuff again is the fact that I don't have to care as much. Totally. The, sort of like, I don't have to worry about, worry as much about like, um, sustaining myself. So now, uh, now I can just like, work on my thing when I feel like it. But then if I don't feel like it, I have like, tons of amazing projects I, I'm working on right now that like, I can go back to those. And then like, oh, and it's also like, helped me to see that like, cause back when I was like 2021, 20, like I, I was like really not really happy with uh, like the pressure that I was putting on myself and working with other artists has enabled me to see that like everybody is um, struggling with those same things and having been through those same things myself, like it it also helps me to be a better co-writer and co-producer for the artists who are struggling with like finding their sound and like um, not knowing what they want to do with their project. So yeah, right now I really enjoy sort of being in between the two worlds. Totally. I feel like it's great to have the financial backing and not having the pressure with your Leno project and kind of alongside that you were mentioning earlier, just having an outlet that isn't the style that you're known for, for the Leno brand, I think is super important too. Yeah. Like if you listen to some of my stuff in like 2013 to 2015, like there's some stuff where... I just wanted to do an experiment uh, yeah. on a different sound and I would like do it as a remix and it would get put out as a Leno remix, even though it necessarily didn't uh, fit with the rest of the project super well. Um, and I mean, like some of my favorite artists do that quite a bit, like 
Basement Jacks or Chemical Brothers, like a lot of those uh, sort of like a little bit like nowadays it's really important to sort of like be on brand all the time. But like a lot of my favorite artists, they, their brand is never like stop exploring. So I I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but definitely in today's environment, like you sort of have to manage the expectations of the fans, I guess. Yeah. And like give them like stylistically give them what they want. So one thing that I want to touch on, for your kind of like your history with the Leno project. And then we'll kind of dive into more production stuff is the collab that you had with Oliver Heldens, this groove in 2019. I think that was a really big track for you. It was an awesome track kind of like launched you into 2020. Talk about how that collab initially came about. So that's actually an interesting, like another full circle moment is um, my manager, Alex Harrow, um, who I've been together with, like working with, since 2012 um he joined a company called milk and honey a couple of years ago i want to say like 2015 16 and then milk and honey signed oliver heldens as a client in 2017 or, or 18 I, th- I think and then like through that connection um like oliver was looking for someone who could like help him out with like songwriting sessions and stuff like that. Um, Cause he's like one of the most incredible uh, producers I've ever uh, worked with um, in the sense that like, he just like has the most clear vision and always knows like what he wants to go for and what he doesn't want to go for. Um, but um, the sort of like technical aspect of like recording the vocals and like cutting the, uh, got, cutting a good demo vocal and stuff like that. Like um, he doesn't want to be doing that while he is like actually producing the track in the room as well. It's yeah. just like too many hats to wear at once. Uh, he was in Ibiza in the summer of 2018 um, and was going to do some writing sessions. Um, and he needed somebody to like come in and do the sort of like more of the technical stuff and also like interacting with the writers and stuff um, yeah. on a, like um, some new stuff that he was working on. Um, so um, through the connection with like having the same manager, um, I will, I like my name came up and Oliver had already at that point, he had like, he had been playing my music on his radio show a bunch and like he was aware of my stuff and my style and stuff like that on the Leno side. But then like I had also sort of, develop this skill set of like being a writer producer in the room with an artist so i sort of yeah. like i was a natural fit for that so i flew in um stayed at oliver's villa in ibiza which is like Oof. the thing like he would do that 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 year uh where like where it's like because he's touring all around europe and he needs to have some kind of a home base why not make it a villa in ibiza <laughs> yeah um so i was staying there um and we had a studio booked in this studio called Sonic Vista, I think it's called, in Ibiza, one of the only studios, like pro- yeah. professional studios in Ibiza, because most people who work there are just like, they will work on their laptops and stuff. Yeah. Um, so then we had a bunch of writing sessions, uh, but then one day our writing session got cancelled because the singer who was supposed to be coming in uh, was sick. Um, so then we were... Like we had a couple of track ideas that we had made, uh, like before the writing sessions, and one of them was like um, just the chord progression for this groove. 
Yeah. Uh, so we just started messing around with that because we had the studio for ourselves and nothing else to do. Uh, so we just started messing around with that, built, built out the track a little bit more, and then like Oliver started singing the sample, the vocal sample on top of the corporation that I had done. And that was sort of the like uh yeah the starting point from the track and then we finished it more or less in a day then i heard nothing about it for half a year <laughs> and then i found out that oh it's uh now we're like suddenly we're finishing it and actually got how to replay the vocal for that one because it's a sample yeah. and then like a month after it came out and i didn't really have any expectations for it because um it was just like a fun little thing we did in a day, but then like it ended up becoming one of the uh, biggest house tracks of last year, and like yeah. got an IDMA nomination and like all kinds of crazy stuff. But That's incredible. I think it just goes to show that like I, I never know what's gonna work out until it gets released and out there in the world, and like yeah. for some reason like that. That one just ended up working really well, even by Oliver's standards. Like it's been one of the bigger tracks he has put out in recent times. Do you think if that vocalist showed up that day, that track might not have happened? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's just like to me, it just shows that like, such a big part of this is just like cosmic luck, basically. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and just sticking around for long enough that like stuff like that ends up happening. Cool. So with that, let's kind of slide things over into production. Um, normally in the podcast, I kind of start off asking people what it looks like when they build out a track from scratch. For you, I would recommend anyone who's interested in that, go check out Leno's Twitch streams. He's been killing it lately with all the Twitch streams. He's, I don't know, it's crazy how much of a track you're able to build out in two, three hours. So if you're interested kind of on that end, definitely go check that out. I kind of want to ask a question on that. So it's kind of a newer thing for you to be doing the more production live streams. What initially inspired you to do that? Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking of doing it for ages, uh, but then this whole coronavirus thing happened, and suddenly I was uh, stuck in Finland because usually, like, I'll be traveling around Europe and uh, LA and London for like I don't know, maybe like one or two weeks a month. But yeah. suddenly, like, everything got cancelled. Uh, I was stuck in Finland. Uh, I, I'm still very lucky in the sense that, like, I had a lot of stuff to do with, like, on the production and writing, uh, like, finishing up demos and, like, finishing up uh, upcoming releases and stuff like that. But still, I had more extra time than I usually do. And then I started seeing, like, people doing these live streams. Uh, and especially one that really inspired me was Ian Kirkpatrick. Um, yeah who's like a pop producer who's been doing these streams where he doesn't really talk that much. He just is just making music. And it was fascinating to me to see that, like, even though he's not framing it as like this entertainment thing, that's supposed to be like super easy to get to. It's still like yeah. fascinating, entertaining. And like, I would just like look at all the streams and take so many screenshots. And that sort of made me realize that like, I don't need to be like super fancy with like um, getting a theme music or like yeah. super like uh, like a screen play or whatever. Like I, I don't need to be like very thought out about it. Like people just want to see the process. People just want to see the nuts and bolts totally. or like I want to see the nuts and bolts and I hope other people want to as well. And that was sort yeah. of my starting point is that like 
I show what I do, like, if people care, great. If they don't, then I'll still yeah. do it because it's a cool little exercise for myself as well. Because usually my, I'm a sort of, like, scatterbrained person. So, um, like, it's hard for me to concentrate on uh, one thing. And the Twitch thing sort of makes me have to concentrate on one thing for, like, a yeah. prolonged period of time, which I think is great in this era as well. Yeah, I've got a friend that does production Twitch streams and he only has like three or five people that are watching it at any point in time. But just even having and knowing that he's being recorded and streamed live, it like forces him to sit down and put in the work. So even for people that are just kind of getting started out, that's not the worst option if you want to keep yourself a bit more disciplined, if you find yourself running all over the place with the production. Exactly. And then like also the um, fact that like, yeah, you can like so many people have been also been introduced to each other on my Twitch chat and like started working on something else and like it's a great way to like that is so cool um, connect with like-minded people. So one thing that I want to try to dive into with you is your mixing. I think people are really impressed by your mixes, both from like a drum standpoint, from kind of like an analog, more vintage feel. Uh, the first question that I just kind of want to throw at you is, what is your process for processing your drums? Because I know you've got kind of like an intricate drum bus processing workflow. Right. Um, well, for me, everything starts with the groove and sample selection. Um, like I have to have, I, I have to feel good about the drums before I start processing them. Yeah. Like if I don't, then like I'll remake the drums rather than like start throwing processing on them and like hoping yeah. to get something uh, for me, like processing always needs to be sort of like, not, not always, but like drum bus processing where you're like dealing with this big entity. That's like a big uh, part of the track. Like you have to sort of be happy with what you've got before you start like um, processing yeah. the drum bus. Cause otherwise like, yeah, you can't really fix it in the mix, in my opinion, um, yeah. with most stuff. Like, it's, it has to be built into the track. But then, as far as the actual processing goes, like, for the most part, um, I don't really um, affect the individual tracks that much. Because um, okay. usually I'm working with samples um, that already have, like, um, the things I'm looking for especially with kick drums and snare drums, I'll try to find like a clean uh, base for the layers to sit, sit on top of. So usually yeah. like I have a really clean kick drum and then like if I have, want some more like character or vintage feel, I'll add like a high passed sample on top of that. But usually like the sort of the impact and the low end will come from a single sample. And then... Like for loops, I'll be more, um, I'll be affecting them more. Like I'll use stuff like the Wolf Compressor or uh, the RC20 by Excellent Audio to sort of give loops more movement and then like sidechain to them to the kick and stuff to like really uh, get the loops sort of feel like they have um, even more movement in them. I think yeah. RC20 and uh, Wolf Compressor were both great tools for like getting a little bit of like micro level variation into the uh, loops. And then all of that gets summed into the drum bus, which is for me, the drum bus is all about like accentuating what's already in there. So um, usually for me, it means that I put in some kind of a saturator, which just sort of like makes the drums have sort of um, common harmonics, if that makes sense. Like yeah. when the kick and the snare hit, suddenly they're like mushed together by this saturator that like makes them have this like shared 
ancestry that they didn't have before. And so that will usually come from like a tape um, plugin saturator, saturator. Like uh, I use the Ampex from UAD. I use Satin by Yuhei. It's it's kind of a subtle thing. Sometimes I drive them a little bit harder to get a bit more harmonics, but like just getting a little bit of um, like harmonics from that, like I think it just helps the drums uh, gel together a little bit better. Then I use quite a lot of compression. Um, the APA 2500 uh, from UAD is incredible for like getting more punch. Um, the Kush Audio Novatron is another like punch machine that I like to use. And then like I'll also like apart from the punch uh, compressor, I also use often a parallel compression thing. Okay. Usually it's like an SSL or the Wolf compressor again without the crazy lo-fi stuff. Just the compression algorithm, just like bringing up more of the low-level information. Because like yeah, it's sort of a two-fold uh, thing. Like I'll add in more punch. Uh, with the API or whatever, and then I'll also bring in the uh, low-level information just so, like, then it's suddenly, like, the whole drum kit starts interacting with itself and, like, you start to get this cool thumping kind of effects. And then other than those, like, um, I'll use an EQ um, to, like, maybe subtly uh, affect the uh, tonal character. Maybe, like, if I... If I produce the track like super loud for some reason, then like usually the drums are maybe not bright enough because like if they're too uh, too bright in the monitors, then like it'll start hurting my ears. So yeah. when I'm actually like putting the drums together, I, like I might just like put a high shelf or something to get a bit more in the sizzle and stuff. And then usually at the very last thing for the drum bass is uh, a clipper, like just a clipping plugin. Um, yeah, which to me is really helpful at like. Because I'm like introducing all these new like uh, compression stuff, and, uh, so I might be getting some pretty crazy transients, which, which are not really like what I'm looking for from the compression. I'm more looking for the like overall tone and the punch. So like I'm not afraid to like cut away like four dB uh, of the peaks with a clipper if I need to. So would you say the compressors are kind of more for tone and vibe, and then that clipper is more for like loudness and just pushing it in the mix? Yeah, exactly. And then also like then once it comes into the master bus i don't need to do as much in the master bus because it's sort of like already reined in nicely and it's just yeah. more under control so then once it hits the master bus i yeah like if it came through the master bus to the final limiter the final limiter would have to work that four to six db uh, more which would uh, add more um artifacts and it wouldn't sound as nice so i think it's a good practice to control the peaks at a bus level rather than like leaving everything to the final limiter any preference when it comes to clipping plugins i would say um the k-clip i'm pretty familiar with anything else that you use for that um i use the tokyo dawn labs um Limiter number six, I think it's called. Okay. Uh, it's based on a free plugin. I used to use the free plugin before. I just got the um, paid version because I wanted to see if it's any different. I think it's not that different. So <laughs> there's a free version of it called Vlad G Limiter number six. Uh, yeah, so that's sort of like what the Tokyo Dawn plugin is based on. I think even the free one sounds amazing especially yeah. in oversampling mode. So uh, that's definitely a good one to check out if you need like a good high quality clipper. And like, yeah. yeah, that's actually something that people get confused by is when I talk about clipping at the drum bus, like do not try to like 
clip your door because that's oh gosh, not going to do no. anything. Even if you go like 100 <laughs> yeah. dB into the red, like it's not actually internally clipping the door. Like it's just going to be like 100 dB louder uh, into the um, master bus. And then like, of course, the master bus, like if you export something out of the door, then it's going to clip and sound awful. So yeah, actually use a clipping plugin instead of like trying to make your door clip. Yeah. So like a follow-up question that I had, just in terms of mixing, we kind of covered the drums, which was awesome. I really want to get into kind of what your process is for mixing your synths in your drops. I think especially recently, you do such a good job making a kind of cohesive blend of all the different synths that you have without just swamping things in reverb. I feel like you do a great job making things feel cohesive, especially when you're switching between all these different elements. Everything's full and in your face and has a space, but it's not just kind of like drowning or swimming in reverb. So any advice on kind of your approach for the way that you mix those in? Well, for me, it's mostly, I know this is going to be a disappointing answer. <laughs> like the start of the answer is going to be a little bit disappointing, but it's mostly a failing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really operate by any like rule book or where I could like point to like specific things I, I do. Um, so for me, a big part I like getting the feeling of like knowing what I want to go for as being acoustic treatment and monitoring. Um, Like for like other people are able to work on headphones and I work on headphones quite a bit, but for me it's like really get the feeling of where I need to go and what I need to do to the mix. Like I just haven't been able to find a way around the fact that I need to hear and feel the music as played back on monitors in the room and like that's like i can work on a track for three hours in the headphones but then then like i switch to the monitors and spend 10 minutes on it and i know what to do to make it sound the way i want to but like i need to have that 10 minutes on the monitors i just like (laughs) there's no way around it for me so like definitely um acoustic treatment like proper acoustic treatment with like uh, rock wool and like not just foam on the uh, on the walls like go look up some like uh there's actually a nice diy tutorial if you want to look at uh ikea traps just google ikea, I- IKEA traps and you will find like a go- cool little uh base trap project if you want to build it out yourself um yeah so for me like good acoustics and monitors that really help me here the way I want. I use Barefoot um, Micromain 35s, which is like I like a friend of mine had them, um, a guy here in Finland called Jesse Oliver, who I used to work with quite a bit. Um, yeah. He had like a previous version of these. And just the way you can sort of hear the individual elements within a mix, it's just like I haven't heard another monitor that does it as well as the Barefoots. So for me, like... That was definitely a big upgrade was like uh, getting monitors where I really can hear everything I'm doing. But then like as far as like actual techniques, um, because like usually the way I start is doing these fake samples, uh, which is like what first inspired me. Um, So I like play guitar. I'll play with synths with like plugins and real synths and like try to add like interesting textures that you can't just get from like a single silent preset like you i just like try to layer things where where it's more like an ensemble playing together and like there are even though everything is sort of playing a singular riff i'll still have like different arpeggiators and like 
different voicings and maybe like one layer won't play more than like one chord yeah each bar and it will be like more sparse so like i get these like micro variations inside the riff and i think that's a huge part of like keeping the sounds interesting totally um because like mixing to me it's not an issue if you have interesting sounds like you just need to you just need to like put in the work at the start to like get interesting textures interesting colors and then after that to me, like after that, everything sort of becomes easy. If I put in the work at the start, at getting like writing interesting parts that fit together and have like these textures that don't sound uh, like everything else, then after that, I can just like put some compression on it, EQ it a little bit, and then that's about it. <laughs> like, yeah. of course, like there, there's more to it than that. But like for me, it's definitely like about arrangement and sound selection. And if you have those right, then even if your mix isn't like 100%, it'll still be way better yeah. than anything you could do. Like even if you if you do a boring track and send it to a pro mixer, it will still be boring. But if you do interest, <laughs> if you do an yeah. interesting track and you do like a okay mix down on it, it will still be an interesting track. So I think like people, I guess it's a thing with like people feel like shifting the burden of the blame yeah <laughs> if that makes sense like they uh, uh yep. they're they're not being honest with the fact that like the track just isn't interesting enough so they yeah. point to the fact that oh it's probably the mix even though most of the time the track just needs to have something cooler happening i mean we get that all the time on our website where people have a demo and they're like it's good it just needs to be mixed i'm like mm, i don't know like those ideas aren't great yet and you're just kind of saying, oh, mixing is right. the problem. But I would uh, I kind of want to go back on one idea that you mentioned, which is this idea of like mixing to make things interesting and to add movement. Because personally, I don't feel like it's too difficult to get a kind of like a palatable mix, something that's good enough where nothing's too harsh or annoying. For me, like the most difficult part of the mix down is making things interesting and adding that movement. Because, you know, you can hear if your snare is 60 dB is too loud. Like those types of things aren't too difficult to get. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, um, I don't know you should really be thinking, okay, how can I make these things more creative when it comes to mixing? Because that's what separates, you know, tracks that do get signed and tracks that don't. Those things that give it a bit more interest and variety than it started with. Yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, that's the whole point is to like do something that makes the track feel fresh. Like yeah. if a track doesn't feel fresh, even if it's like really well done, like it's probably not gonna make waves. You just yeah. like I'd much rather listen to something that's like piques my curiosity in some way. Like this is cool, this is different. Like what's going on here? Rather than like listen to another uh, progressive house demo that's like really well made, but like sounds like <laughs> everything yeah. that's been done for the past five years or so. Yeah. One thing that I kind of selfishly want to ask you about is your guitar processing chain. I know you talked a little bit about it on one of your Instagram stories, which again, people should go check out if they want to learn more about your production. But one thing that I personally struggle with is getting like a nice forward, clean guitar tone. I feel like so much of the kind of guitar tutorials that I see online are for more distorted tones. So for you, I feel like you do a really great job with that and obviously incorporate a lot of guitar into your music, especially given the fact that you're a guitarist. So kind of run me through what's your basic processing chain for getting kind of a nice, clean, full tone for guitar in your mixes. For me, um, it's 
actually pretty simple. Um, so I have this Jazzmaster guitar, which is sort of my fa uh, like a, my favorite guitar. Um, it's like a custom uh, made guitar by by this Finnish company called Attic Guitars, like Attic, uh, yeah, like yeah, <laughs> the uh, ATTIC, like the uh, yeah. top floor of <laughs> building, um, and it's just like a basically like a fifties Fender Jazzmaster, but like yeah. remade with like all modern parts and a nicer bridge. And like one thing that's really important for me is um high quality pickups i use um bare knuckle pickups on that one but like anything that's like actually really good yeah <laughs> like there's a guy like um it doesn't need to be like super fancy but there's a bunch of like companies that are sort of like notch above uh what you would get in like a 300 uh guitar yeah. so i think that's a big yeah. part of the sound especially for something where you like my sound where it's like very clean or like mostly clean um it's really important that the actual signal is as high quality as possible so mm -hmm. i have bare knuckle pickups but like uh stuff like lawler um or steamer duncan like anything that's sort of like a little bit nicer than like the Chinese uh, cheap pickups that you will get on the like sort of cheaper Korean-made yeah. or stuff like that uh, guitars. Then after that, I just most of the time I just run straight into my UAD uh, Apollo into the okay. instrument input on that one, and that's actually another thing that like that was a big revelation for me because before the um, Apollo, I used to have or I still have uh, Focusrite Sapphire from like ten years ago. And I was always struggling a little bit about the uh, instrument quality um, when I was just plugging straight into it. And then when I got the Apollo, I realized that there's actually big differences between the instrument inputs on different uh, interfaces. So that's another factor to look into. I don't know how good the Focusrite um, inputs are nowadays because my unit is like yeah more than 10 years old now um but that's another uh thing like so on the sort of like in the hardware world look at the pickups even if you have a cheaper guitar like um if you have it set up by a guitar tech and replace the pickups like you can get pretty much all guitars to sound good and then, like, when I come into the um, Apollo, I usually I run the UID Fender emulation, which okay. is just, like, <laughs> what I have with the interface. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it came, like, as a bundle thing. And it's a, actually a great emulation. It's just, like, um, it has this, like, nice sort of... Uh, it's clean, but it also like breaks up a little bit if you play really hard. It has this like sort of like built-in dynamics. Uh, so that's sort of the first thing in my chain. Uh, then I run into um, Distressor plugin from UAD, yeah. which I'm also like uh, printing to the channel most of the time. Uh, so okay. I'm like recording through all of this stuff. Um, and yeah, that's more or less like the Fender. I can actually look at the preset right now on my channel yeah it's like uh, the tone is at exactly the middle like all the sort of mics are the default preset and the only thing i'm controlling is the uh volume depending on how loud i uh how loud i'm playing because if i turn up the volume too much then it will start uh breaking up like going into yeah. distortion on louder parts so if i'm playing like louder parts then back up back off on the um input 
But then, other than that, like it's just the Fender into the Distressor, and then I don't need to do that much uh, when I'm mixing. Like most of the time, like I'm just doing a little bit of uh, low cut and maybe some upper mids harshness control, and that's more or less all I'm doing. So, like I would say, get a Fender uh, emulating plugin, whatever. Like there's one in Guitar Rig, there's one in Amplitude. Get one of those, and then find a Distressure plugin. I think the company that makes Distressure also has their own plugin now, and there's some more emulations as well. So uh, for me, uh, there's something about the Distressure that like just grabs guitar the right way for my ears. Yeah. I mean, I think your ideology for guitars is the same as the way that you process your drum samples. You focused on just the right clean tone going into it so that you don't have to do so much work after. So it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, exactly. So a few more production questions, then we'll kind of slide things towards the end. Obviously, you're very into this kind of like analog, virtual analog synth realm. What are your favorite kind of like go-to synths when you're working in the DAW? Diva has been the sort of game changer in the fact that like you can get more interesting tones um, just from a plugin. Um, Diva has lots of like, uh, especially when it came out, because it's been out for a while now, um, but when yeah. it came out, like it was sort of a game changer in the uh, sort of like micro variations that you would have. Like you can tune the individual voices apart a little bit. So you get these like cool little variations that you couldn't really get like per voice um, variations before Diva came out. So that yeah. was definitely a big part for me. But then um, apart from that, like Diva is definitely like a big one when I when I get more like fat analog style sounds. But then um, I'll use the usual suspects, um, Silent, Serum, Spire. Those are sort of the main ones when I want something that's a little bit more uh, modern. And then also I have um, the Tal Juno um, plugin, which I use yeah. a lot. It sounds very, very close to my real Juno 106 that I have. <laughs> so I'll still use like all the analog stuff that I have, like the Prophet and the Juno, but it's more for the inspiration and like being able to tweak sounds without looking at a computer screen and like having my hands tied yeah. to a mouse. So um, if I had to, I could get the exact same tones out of the Juno plugin. And also for the Prophet, there's another plugin by Yuhei called Repro, which is like yeah. the sort of diva approach, but for uh, Prophet sounds. So um, yeah, for me, plugins are definitely caught up as far as uh, the actual signal quality goes of course like with analog you get all these happy accidents of like accidentally loading in the wrong patch and like accidentally like having the patching wrong and like suddenly you're like playing this part with this different sound and like you just don't get that kind of mistakes with software as often even though i try to um, <laughs> make myself make those kind of mistakes somehow but yeah. like um it's it's harder like with analog equipment like you get these happy accents way more often so that's a big reason why i still keep these old uh things that break down all the time around yeah cool so kind of on the production side a few days ago you just released your uh, latest splice pack kind of talk about your inspiration for doing that yeah it's actually been really interesting like i was one of the uh 
like first people not not like first first but like i was very yeah. early into splice way before uh splice sounds was a thing like i was already using the platform because it yeah. like started out as a project management sort of like collaboration thing and they mm. only integrated the sample thing after a couple of years so i was like already talking to them um way before they launched the uh, sample platform, which, of course, became, like, the sort of revelation for the whole yeah. uh, production uh, community because it's, like, it just, like, shifted the paradigm so much. Like, you don't have to download these gigabytes of samples only to find, like, three usable ones. You can just, like, get the three usable ones and yeah. call it a day. <laughs> Um, but then like I was already in uh, dialogue with the company when they started doing the sample packs. Uh, so then they asked if I want to do one and people had been asking for me to do one for quite a while. So I did one, which was more, a little bit more than two years ago. I think it came out at the start of 2018 and it's been really cool, uh, to see like just where it's ended up. Like people send me like clips from, uh french tv commercials and like <laughs> i've heard it on so many records like uh yeah actually ian kirkpatrick was just uh like showing some julia stuff where he had used it and like i've heard it on like charlie xax troy sivan the new 21 pilot song like it's, it's just like crazy to see that like my sounds like these um producers who I really love the work of like have seen my name and like used my samples <laughs> even though like it's like a such a small part but yeah. like from being a producer myself like I know that like hearing one interesting sample can inspire a whole track so I think it's like really um it's been really uh gratifying for me as well to like because it's mostly like, the stuff on the sample packs it's mostly like these little riffs that I've done that never made it to a track, but then yeah. like I can sort of like pass them forward and like have people uh, like do their thing on it. It's like a second life for them. Exactly. So it's it's a really cool process, and I've been really happy about the fact that it's been picked up so um, widely. Yeah. But so like then because it's been working out so nicely, uh, I like they asked me if I want to do another one and I had already like been turning around with the idea so by this time around like I didn't have as many like uh, failed ideas so <laughs> it's more like just original stuff and like stuff that people have been asking about and yeah so it's more or less like the individual pieces that make my tracks I tried to make sounds that I would really want to use in some of my stuff and i actually like after i finished the pack i i have been using it quite a lot just like as another um part of my toolkit when i'm producing so yeah it's more or less uh yeah because i'm a producer i want to be able to like uh, give out sounds that have like real value to producers as well so it's yeah. like i I try to stay away from like filler and like just make it all as usable as possible so a few more questions and then we'll wrap things up. I think a lot of the reason that people are drawn to your music, aside from the production, is just the songwriting and musicality of your tracks. And a lot of that comes from the fact that you are classically trained in guitar and have experience playing piano. What would you say to somebody that is a really big fan of your music and kind of of that style of music, but doesn't have any experience with the piano and guitar that either, you know, maybe wants to learn piano or guitar. They don't know if they should, if they want to create music in your style. 
Well, I think a big part for me has been transcribing um, my favorite songs. And for mm-hmm. that, you don't necessarily need to be able to play an instrument. You just need your ears and yeah. <laughs> a MIDI piano roll. And like you can start transcribing your favorite songs into like, like I, I was doing that pretty hardcore at one point. Like I would just like do these MIDI clips of like the main riff to this print song uh, that I really love. And like yeah. just uh, maybe there's like this arpeggio that snake hips are doing in this part of the song. Like just like sort of writing yeah. out the musical ideas that music that I really liked. Uh, yeah, just like collecting this bank of musical knowledge, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's a good starting point is to like try to see what's going on within your favorite tracks. And that's like for me, because me, for me, like it's always been about like hearing something cool and being like, yo, I want to do that as well. And then yeah. like that's uh, a good way of like getting a concrete sort of like an action plan to like, oh, I hear a cool thing. Wonder what went into it. And then like, yeah. whatever it takes, like put it on Ableton, sh- slow it down to like 40 dB so you can hear the individual <laughs> notes, write them out, like listen back to back to the part you're transcribing and the meta clip. Are they exactly the same? If not, like, it, yeah, it's just like, it takes a little bit of time, but you'd be surprised at like how fast the ear adapts and like suddenly things that would take you half an hour to transcribe to like one uh, four bar loop. Suddenly you can do that in two minutes. And like, for me, it's uh, like nowadays when I hear a chord progression, like usually I can, like when I hear something, I can just sit down at keys and play it more or less the same. But that uh, doesn't come from necessarily the being classically trained or like, uh, of course, that's a part of it is the fact that like, of course, like being around music is going to develop your ear. But yeah. for me, a big part of it has also been just like transcribing stuff that I really like. And then like, I'm able to pick up these patterns that speak to me. And then like yeah. from that, I can just sort of like, cause there's so many things. Like, I think that's actually an important thing to realize that like big part of this is like, figuring out what's your voice and what's your truth and like what's sort of like what's the stuff that moves you like try to make things that really are true to yourself and like really like make stuff that you want to hear and like to make the stuff that you want to hear like pick out your favorite records look into the musicality of them, like what makes them feel the way you feel. And then like, once you start sort of like amassing this knowledge, then it becomes really easy. Like literally if they're MIDI files, then you can just like drag them in. And whenever you're like, whenever you're stuck, like I would do this and I still do it sometimes. Like I will, like when I'm feeling stuck, I will go to my like uh, MIDI files and like drag an ARP in and like suddenly that will inspire something. I love that. I love that idea of kind of more focused learning with exactly what is inspiring you musically, because, you know, it's good to have kind of more traditional approach. Let's just say you're learning piano and to like take some lessons and to learn some classic songs. But personally for me, it's way more interesting and exciting to kind of, like you said, like bring in a snake hips record and figure out exactly what's going on there. Training so many different muscles in the process as well. 
Yeah, exactly. And for me, a big part of that has been also uh, doing the remixes that I've been doing. Because um, yeah. I get the remix packs and I can see like the individual arps that make like this cool sound. Um, but you don't have to be like doing major label remixes to be able to do that. Like there's so many multi tracks uh, laying around the internet these days that like yeah. you can just yeah go download um, there around there. I, I won't name any sites because I don't want to <laughs> get in trouble. But like um, yeah. yeah, like download some remix packs. Like there's some like some for like Stevie Wonder records if you want to get like really classic or then there's like a lot of modern pop as well yeah. like just like look at inside and like one thing that that has to, taught me is just the sheer number of like things that don't sound that good on their own that you can put in a track and it will still make sense sure. like yeah, like especially in pop tracks, like go listen to like a Sia multi track or a Katy Perry multi track, and like you will see that like there's so much stuff going on beyond just like kick drum, snare drum, hi hat, bass, synth. Like there's so much like found sound loops, um, like interesting like layered drums, like percussion. Like it's just like yeah. the way these like pop, uh, like top prop producers, like they layer things. It's just fascinating to me and like they're some of the best layers in the game totally awesome so we've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast what advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out to give them the best chance of success with music moving forward learn to love the process itself if you're not enjoying the process then it's gonna be a painful ride (laughs) and like uh for me like i being a professional music producer was never the goal. It was just like messing around with sounds uh, and like making cool stuff that I could listen to and like making stuff that like made me feel good. But of course, like I got very lucky uh, in the sense that like uh, I sort of came up in an era where there was not as much competition as there is now. So yeah. that's... um of course, not a good piece of advice for somebody who's already <laughs> doing the right things and like loving the process. But yeah. <laughs> I would just like, if you're just starting out, like hoping th- to play the main stage of Ultra, uh, I don't think that's a very healthy standpoint because like yeah. there's thousands of people with crazy budgets um, and like t- uh, dozens of people in their teams working towards the same goal. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, it's good to have goals, but I also think you shouldn't define yourself by your goals. Like, as long as you're enjoying the process itself, everything else tends to sort itself out. But of course, um, more practical stuff. Figure out a sound, figure out something that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> everything becomes a lot easier <laughs> after that. Like, it's very hard to get excited about I'm an 18 year old. Uh, future house producer from Germany who makes stuff that sounds like everything else. Um, So yeah, like I think being fresh, whatever it takes to be fresh musically, like I think that's still, even though like the industry is driven by a lot of different factors than the music itself. Like I think it's really hard to stand out if the music is not standing out. And then like, um, like when you first start getting the recognition, I think it's really important to have an understanding of the sort of uh, 
practical things of the industry, like know about yeah. the different kinds of copyrights that there are, know about um, what, where, you, like how should you be paid? Like if you do work for other people, um, like how yeah. should you be compensated for that? Like if there is, if there are streams happening, like somebody is getting paid for those streams. If you yeah. made the track and you're not getting paid, like you, you got fucked over. So um, there's a book called All You Need to Know About Music Business. It's a bit yeah. more um, geared towards the sort of major label bands getting signed uh, sort of model, but everything that's in the book still applies to the sort of production world as well. Like there's a chapter about publishing, there's a chapter about like advances. Um, like, yeah, it's a very informative book and anybody who wants to be serious about the business, like, yeah, yeah, should have a very solid understanding of what actually happens in the business apart from like branding and marketing. Like there's so much more than that. Like it, you should have a good understanding of the legal side, the contract, the copyrights as well. I would say that's actually more important than the um, like at like making you have a long term career. I think like mm -hmm. knowing um, how and when you should be getting paid is really important. Because yeah. like uh, I know of so so many people like signing into these bad contracts. Like for example, like um, signing into a management contract where you suddenly like you have a seven year or um, sunset period which is like yeah. uh means like even if you stop working with this manager now uh you will still have to like give them a big chunk of your proceedings for the next seven years <laughs> and like people just have no idea like it's yeah uh, especially because everybody is uh, into this for the passion it's really easy for bad actors to take advantage of people mm -hmm. so i think it pays a ton of dividends to like yeah. be caught up on the sort of like uh, business side of things as well even though it's not very exciting but it's unnecessary to just be aware of what you're running into oh yeah absolutely and also like um especially once you first start getting some kind of attention that's where you're most vulnerable i think because yeah. like all of a sudden people care but now like how do you make sure that like if you do get some bigger success you're not shooting yourself in the foot cool so you've got your splice pack which is already out you've got us kids which is going to be your new single coming out soon outside of that what's going to be coming up for you in the next few months um currently finishing up an ep um so the us kids record is um the second single the previous one was called something real so um yeah i've been sort of like this is all sort of part of the just having fun uh, thing yeah. with Lena. Um, uh, so I'm just like putting together a body of work of stuff that I've been making for the past couple of years and just never had the uh, chance to put out. So now I'm just putting them out. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing on the Lena side and also doing a bunch of cool remixes um, for pretty crazy variety of artists a couple of like really old favorites and some uh other new ones as well and then on the writing side the two sort of main projects that i'm working on are oliver heldens i just did his new single called details so we're working on a bunch more like he's trying to uh, put out, put together an album soon and then i'm also working on an album uh for this norwegian group called sieb and just did their uh, latest single with Good Boys and Harvey as well. So um, those are the sort of 
other projects or the main sort of two projects that I'm working on. And then yeah. apart from those, just a lot of writing on production for other people as well. Awesome. Sweet. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can all find Leno's music in the description of this podcast. So go definitely give it a listen as this episode is just about over. Leno, it's been great chatting with you. Appreciate you being on the show, man. Thank you so much.